Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality with an emphasis on BDSM and kink relationships. We also talk about poly relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and this week we're going to continue our discussion on dominance and dominant behavior. This is all part of our BDSM 101 series. Before I start this week's episode, I'd like to send a very special thank you to our newest Patreon subscribers, Kay, Grace, Tyler, and Vin. Thank you guys very much for your contributions and for your pledge of support. It's very important and it does help keep this show running. If you are interested in joining our Patreon family, head over to our website, www.wickedfellow.com. You can find all of our links there, show notes, links to our websites, and contact information. This week we're going to talk about primal style domination and primal style submission. For those of you who made it through the entire sub-series, you'll notice that I left out prey-style submissive behavior, and that's because I knew it would fit in well with this topic, because it's very niche in that prey-style submissives almost always go with primal-style domination. Obviously, not everybody uses the term predator and prey for their own monikers in the primal-style dominance, but it's a very common one. And I'm aware that, you know, predator in general is a bad thing. And in the BDSM sense, being predatory or having predatory behavior is bad. But this is a very specific, scene-specific style of predation or predatory behavior. So it's important to remove that from its context of preying upon a weak and vulnerable person who doesn't want to be preyed on and move that into the primal style, which is the prey style submissive very much wants to be preyed on by a predator. We'll get into this, so don't check out just yet. When you hear primal style domination, you know, the words you associate that with are animalistic, instinctual, an urgency, a very immediate style of play. And that's not inaccurate because that's kind of the foundation of primal style domination. To contrast it with a more cerebral style where a dominant might plan out the scene and lay out their tools perfectly and have a very scheduled idea for what's going to happen during that scene, in primal style domination it should be very instinctual, it should be very immediate and in the moment. And those animalistic urges that we all have, being not very far removed from animals, is kind of the soul of primal style domination. How does that work in the BDSM sense, where we talk about having consent be such a big deal and having negotiation be such a big deal? Primal style domination is not exempt from the importance of negotiating terms, of negotiating boundaries, of negotiating safe words, etc. And I know that the last thing that, you know, primal style dominance and submissives really want to do is sit down with a checklist because that's very antithetical to what they're doing in the scene because they want it to be immediate. They want it to be very instinctual and basic and animalistic and visceral. I get that. However, it's still very important to establish consent, to establish boundaries and safe words, especially in a style like primal where, you know, biting and scratching and rough play, which is very common in that style of dominance and submission. So yeah, you still need to establish those boundaries before play starts. That can be a very quick discussion, 
or it can be lengthy, it can be very detailed, but it is still necessary, even if you don't want to be in your head about how you play DS. And that's kind of the heart of primal style is that I don't want to think about it. I don't want to plan it. I don't want to be in my head the whole time I'm in this scene. I just want to react with my most basic human instincts and desires. I want this thing and I'm going to take it. And on the other side of that, the submissive side is I want to be taken by this animalistic power, this visceral energy that this dominant person has. And in that it can be very beautiful. It can be very powerful and visceral and instinctual. However, you do need to establish that consent of, you know, even if it's a very basic thing, like I want to be prey and I want you to hunt me down and take me. That's enough. You know, that's enough of a consent discussion. Obviously, in my more cerebral style, I want there to be more than that. But you shouldn't, as a primal dominant or as a primal submissive, expect people to just do those things to you or to do those things to people without at least a very basic understanding of, yes, I want this to happen. As I always say, consent is king. So it's necessary to, at least at the beginning of the relationship, establish that, yeah, this is what I'm into. I like it when my partner feels wild and a bit out of control and I don't feel like, you know, they're really thinking about what they're doing. They're just doing. And that's fine. That is perfectly acceptable in the primal style of domination and submission. You know, it's not very cerebral. You're not going to be rolling napkins to a tenth of a degree and laying them out on a table for your dom to inspect them. You know, that's the opposite of primal style domination. Primal style is I'm going to probably tear your clothes off and force you down and have my way with you. And if that's exciting to the submissive and that's exciting to the dominant, that's awesome. Like that is what they should go for once consent is established, right? Once safe words are established, because as I said, this can be a very rough style of play. This can be a very red and tooth and claw style of play. And if you're into that, that's awesome, but it can be too much for people who are not into it or who are into it, but only up to a point. So safe words are still very important. Consent is still extremely important. Consent is king. So in primal style domination, you know, the submissive is often called the prey. Sometimes these do take on, you know, animalistic styles of kink and BDSM, people that do animal style play you know, I feel like a wolf, so I want to portray myself as a wolf, that often plays into primal style domination. That doesn't mean that all people that do animalistic style play are primals and vice versa. And like a lot of these BDSM styles, you know, you can be 100% primal. That's just who you are. That's all you do. You are not interested in wearing a three-piece suit and a necktie and telling your dom four different ways of arranging pickle forks. I get that. You know, you just want to be in this moment and you want to be in the scene and you want to see and take. I get that. That can be 100% of your persona as a dominant, or it can be 25%. You know, most of the time you are a very cerebral, cool, confident, relaxed dom, but on occasion you want to express that more visceral animalistic side. So you can play in a more primal sense on occasion, or you can play full time. It will really depend on what you want out of the scene. 
and there's no wrong or right way to do this. Because of the videos that we make, I've frequently seen comments where people say, you know, wow, he's such an amazing primal dominant, which is funny to me because I'm not. I'm really not part of that scene. However, some of our scenes do have a very primal feel to them. They do have a very, I take what I want. I'm not going to ask any questions. This is not about using my head. This is about using my physicality. But that's because I wanted those scenes to be like that. You know, I don't have a very strong primal drive and domination, but I can turn it on. And if the scene requires it, if my partner requires it, I can turn that on and I can be very primal as a dom. But it's not who I am as a dom. It's not my go-to nature. I am a very cerebral, we are going to arrange this dinner serving just so until you can do it blindfolded. That's kind of more my style. That's what intrigues me and, and turns me on about being a dom. It's not so much about grabbing and tearing clothes off and holding down and being very instinctual. I'm kind of the polar opposite of that and that I never do anything in what I call hot blood. So when I punish, I'm never punishing when I'm angry. I'm never punishing when my passions are up. I'm never punishing when I'm not in 100% control of my emotions. So I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum where I'm very cool in scenes. I'm not hot-blooded. I'm very calm and still as a dominant. Whereas a primal would want to be very in the moment and have a hot-blooded nature and have a very immediate devil-may-care, hell-bent-for-leather attitude in their scene, and their sub would want that as well. So there is the key, right? Like in everything we do, in order to be a good primal dominant, you need a sub that wants that done to them and vice versa. If you're a very primal submissive, if you want to be treated like prey, if you want to be hunted down and taken, you need to find someone that enjoys that style of play. You know, if you're a very primal submissive and you're with a very cerebral dom, there's going to be a mismatch there. And neither one of you is necessarily going to be very happy because you're not going to be very happy arranging dinner services and he's not going to be terribly happy tearing your clothes off and taking you like an animal. So yeah, there's a mismatch there. Now, like I said, obviously, it's kind of rare that people are 100% anything, right? That someone's just 100% primal all the time. That's all they're interested in. Some people are, and that's fine. But usually it kind of, it's an aspect of one's personality. It's an aspect of one's domination and style to be primal sometimes. To know when their partner wants them to be primal. To pick up on those subtle cues that tell them, oh, my partner's in this kind of mood and I'm in this kind of mood. Let's play this way. On another day, we may be very formal and very cerebral and very by the numbers, but today I'm tearing those clothes off and today I'm going to take what I want as a primal dom. So I guess, yeah, there's probably part of me that can do that or enjoys that, but it's not a very big part of me. It's, you know, 10 to 15%. For the most part, I like to be very cool and calm in my domination style. Yeah, primal dominance is a very good and healthy part of our scene, right? I feel like being primal really speaks to the fundamental nature of BDSM. 
because a lot of what we do is about that power exchange. And a lot of that power exchange comes from our more basic instincts, our more basic desires. You know, as a man, if I see an attractive woman, I want her. Social norms have taught me well that I'm not supposed to just go take what I want, but that doesn't stop me from wanting, right? That's kind of working on that primal level. On the flip side of that, on the submissive side, the desire to be taken, the desire to be hunted down and taken as prey, to be taken, you know, not necessarily because it's what you want, but because you can't stop it from happening. And we are going to talk about C&C play, consensual non-consent play. That's a big part of the primal kink. That's a big part of primal domination. So it's very important, obviously, that if you're a primal dominant, to find a submissive that is into that. Because not everybody is. You go too far when you say that everybody is primal at nature, that everybody wants this. Because not everybody does. This is not a turn-on for some people. It's a turn-on for a lot of people at a fundamental level. But for some people, for whatever their reason is, whether it's their upbringing, their genetic code, or whatever, the notion of being taken by force is very much not what they want. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Don't let our weird kind of kinky BDSM ethical nature push you down the wrong track of thinking, oh, well, all submissives want to be forced. No, not at all. And for the primal side, especially where it is very much a power thing, it is very much a, I'm bigger and stronger than you are. So I will take what I want in the right context. That's extremely exciting in the wrong context. That's assault. So you do have to make sure you're doing the right thing with the right people, right? That's just basic common sense, especially in primal style domination, I think. So as a primal dominant, sometimes you will have to rein in those animal instincts and those animal impulses. And a good primal dominant is someone that can do that, that can realize that in this situation, in this scenario, in the company that I'm in, it is not appropriate for me to be primal and just on the hunt and on the prowl and taking what I want, because this is not the time or place for that. Just like all of us, sometimes it's perfectly acceptable to be who we truly are and show our freak flag as much as possible. Obviously, yeah, some places it's not the right time. You know, Denny's at 12 o'clock, probably not. In the dungeon at two o'clock in the morning, maybe the right place for that kind of behavior. On the prey or primal style of submission. And again, it is very instinctual. It is for the person that's not really enthusiastic about being cerebral and in their head about their submission and thinking about a long list of rules. That's not really what turns them on in the kink sense. For them, that seems like drudgery and not fun and very boring. And why would I want to play like that? You know, I, I totally understand. For that kind of submissive, they just want that immediate in the moment feeling. They want to feel overpowered. They want to feel in danger. They want to feel like they're out of control because those feelings are thrilling. Anytime something is scary, there's a thrilling aspect to that. That's why we like horror movies. That's why we like scary things and roller coasters. 
So for someone that is a very primal submissive, they don't want a 20-part section of rules. They just want someone to grab them by the shoulders and make them do something. And, you know, again, that's perfectly fine when paired with the style of domination that that meshes with, that those gears intermesh and it works together. So just like everything else we do, finding the right partner, negotiating, and even if briefly, negotiating what your boundaries and safe words are, negotiating that consent to begin with, and then now let's just let fly. Let's just go and see what happens. That can be very thrilling for the primal style dominant and the primal style submissive. So last week, we started the dominant section of our BDSM 101 series. I have to admit, I expected more questions and commentary from my understanding, from the interactions I've had with my followers and viewers and listeners. I would say that most of you are subs, which is kind of what I expected. Doms don't tend to watch other doms do stuff, whether it's talk on YouTube or scenes or whatever. It seems to be more of a sub thing. For example, I don't watch a lot of other YouTube doms. I do watch a lot of other YouTube subs. And that is because I'm very interested in the sub perspective on BDSM. I want to know what's going on inside the mind of a submissive. I want their take on things. As a dom, I kind of know what, you know, my take on things is. I have looked, you know, I've, I've certainly done some YouTube searching. And if any of you subscribe to other dominant personalities that are on YouTube talking about BDSM stuff, send me those links, leave that in the comments and people that you know and respect and you feel like they've got a good point of view. I would be interested in watching those videos, but it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot. There seems to be a lot more submissive type personalities talking about BDSM on YouTube, you know, for good or ill. Some are very, very good and articulate and well-spoken. Others I found are, you know, they aren't necessarily, you know, I hate to ever say anything bad about another cr content creator like I'm doing, but sometimes their notions and ideas are not the best. Let's put it that way. And I'm certainly not going to name any names, but I want you to use your discernment as you look online and you see other people's take on this thing and on me, you know, use your discernment. Is what I'm saying true? Does it ring true to you? Does it seem like valid information? Does it seem like I know what I'm talking about? Does it seem like they know what they're talking about? What is their experience level? How long have they been doing this? You know, anybody can start a YouTube channel. So I do want to start calling out other YouTube content creators that I think are really good. People that I think are putting out good content from a knowledgeable point of view. And so I do want to start highlighting those, those other content creators. When I'm doing these podcasts, I very much want to get other people's input on them. If you had asked me last week, what's your notion of a primal dominant? I would have told you pretty much everything I said today because, you know, I've been in the scene long enough. I've met primal dominant personalities. I've played in that space. I have a good understanding of what primal domination and primal submission are. But it's always important to me to look into the community and see what other people have to say about it. Because I'm one guy and I'm old, so maybe my ideas are outdated. Maybe my notions are outdated. Maybe I'm just playing wrong, as I was about switches. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos today about primal domination, primal submission, primal styles. And on this particular subject, I have to say, I didn't, I didn't learn anything new. 
But it was good to get other people's perspective, other people's notion about what being a primal dominant is. More in general, you know, learning from other people in the community is always helpful. Whether you're learning that some people don't know what they're talking about, that's good. Or having your eyes open to something where someone says, you know, hey, this is something that I have experienced in my own play that you might find useful. I don't know how big the community is. I don't know how interconnected we are on YouTube because like all things adult, YouTube is fairly loath to recommend this type of video. Even if you do very specific search criteria, you may not find the style of videos you're looking for. I did want to do a shout out for Evie Lupine, and I watched several of her videos today beyond the stuff about primal domination and submission because I found her to be very articulate, very well-spoken, and very knowledgeable about the scene. So I'm going to link to her video underneath this one. If you want some of the very same things that I'm talking about, but from a submissive's perspective, from what I've seen of her videos, she absolutely knows what she's talking about. And it's a very pleasant and enjoyable YouTube channel. While I didn't get as many questions and comments from last week's video as I'd expected, I did get some very good ones. One of the questions was, you know, when you say something is wrong with a submissive, what do you mean by that? You know, what's wrong with a person or a submissive? Wrong in this case shouldn't be taken as like a character flaw necessarily. Wrong can be any number of things. So in the very beginning, say you're working with a brand new submissive, someone that's very new to the scene. They don't understand how it works. They don't understand the protocols and the niceties of being a submissive to a dominant. Well, what's wrong with them, in quotation marks wrong, you know, is everything. They don't know when to say sir or how to say sir. They don't know when to make eye contact or not make eye contact, right? We're talking about things that are very protocol driven. That's not something that's wrong with them as a human being. It's things that they're doing wrong in the scene. So that's one way of being wrong as a submissive. More generally, and more to the point of what I was talking about, is when I look at my submissives, I'm examining them very closely, you know, almost at a molecular level. And I want to understand them at that very fundamental spiritual nature. And one of the things that I do very well is read people and understand people, sometimes as well or better than they understand themselves. So it's incredibly rare that a sub will tell me something that I don't already know about them. But it's still important to me that they tell me because the act of divulging that information is a sign of trust. It's a sign of intimacy and respect that they can tell me this deepest, darkest secret about themselves, even if it's something I already knew about them. So I do try to work with my subs on that level. So if I say something is wrong with them, it may be something where they've got a very low self-image. You know, they've got a very bad view of themselves. I would consider that something wrong with them, something that I want to help correct, that I want to help give them confidence and an accurate view of themselves. Not overinflated, not underinflated. I want them to have a very accurate view of themselves. A lot of people have a very poor self-image. They see themselves in a very bad light. Some people see themselves in an overly flattering light. But when we're talking about submissive-style personalities, 
they tend towards having a negative self-image. And I want to help them get an accurate self-image, a very neutral, objective self-image, understand their strengths, understand their weaknesses, and accept both. And then once we have a very clear understanding of who we are, then we can start bettering ourselves. So something that's wrong with the submissive might be they've got a very poor self-image. They think themselves very poorly and they're very down on themselves. And I want to help show them that, no, you know, these are the things that you're good at. These are your strengths. These are the things that are amazing about you. And I want them to understand and accept those things as truths, not as me flattering them. It's very important from my perspective as a dom to be 100% honest and accurate with your subs. They know that when you say something, when their dom tells them something, it's not flattery. It's the truth. Because their dom will also tell them when it's wrong or bad or negative. I do recognize that there's a style of dominance where the dominant always has something wrong with the submissive. They're always doing something wrong. They're always breaking some rule. They're always somehow inferior and needing to be broken down. And that's not my style. My style is to be very objective and to be very realistic and be very honest with my submissives about things that I think they can improve on. So one thing that I've learned as a dominant is you really can't make people do things they don't want to do, no matter how dominant you are. You can force them. You can force them to do things for a limited period of time. But if you want to see change, if you want to see growth, that has to come from within, right? You can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. So with my submissives, you know, if I want one of my submissives to be a power lifter and they have no interest in that, you know, sure, I can drag them to the gym and I can make them go through workout routines and I can force them to do it three times a week. But if their heart isn't in it, they're never going to excel. They're never going to be happy in that role. They're never going to look forward to our sessions together, right? So just because it's something that I want doesn't mean it's something that my sub wants. And I've learned that in order to avoid a lot of frustration and in order to be successful with my submissives, closely aligning what I want and what they want is crucial. So when I say something is wrong with my submissive, not only do I want to change it in them, I have to see in them a desire to change it. So if it's a low self-image, most people that do have a low self-image of themselves don't necessarily want to feel that way about themselves. They want to feel better about themselves. And so for me, that seems like a very natural fit. You've got a bad self-image. I don't want you to have a bad self-image. Let me help you get an accurate self-image, one that is true to who you are. That's an example of what's wrong with the submissive and what can be done to fix that. If they're super skinny and I want them to be a power lifter, but they're not into that, that is not something that's wrong with them. That's something that I want, but not necessarily what they want. So matching those things up, making sure that that goals as a dominant complement the goals of the submissive. That is a crucial thing to me in my style of domination. I think that other people may say that, you know, well, the sub doesn't know what's good for them and they don't know what they want, etc. For some submissives, maybe. For some 
particular types of submissives, they may want that complete control and domination where they surrender everything to their dom. And if their dom wants them to be a power lifter, they're going to be a power lifter. And that would make them happy because it's what their dom wants. And that is fine if that is what works for them. You know, for my submissives, it doesn't tend to work that way. I tend to work with submissives that do have at least a modicum of independence and a modicum of self-direction. And so in order to have a healthy, productive, growing relationship with these submissives, it's important that I align my goals with their goals. So that's what I meant when I said something is wrong with a submissive. A lot of subs in my experience have a tendency towards self-harm. And that does tend to go hand in hand with that very low self-image. Self-harm can be a very bad thing. Most people that I have experience with that do have self-harm issues don't want to do that. It's something that they feel is compulsive that they can't stop doing. That might be something that's wrong with them. You know, again, wrong with them is a very, it's a loaded term, but I'm not looking at this as making them less valuable. I'm looking at as these are things we can improve in you. So if someone has a tendency towards self-harm and they don't want to self-harm, I'm more than happy to be that accountability. I'm more than happy to be the person they come to as a more healthy way of expressing that particular very strong need they have. We might go into that a lot more later. That's a very touchy and very delicate subject that I want to discuss at more length but it is an example of something that might be wrong with a submissive. Another comment that I got was, you know, don't you feel that it's too cynical to say that everybody does things for selfish motivations? You know, is there no such thing as altruism? That's difficult. You know, first of all, we're talking about a very philosophical thing, right? There's no way to measure this. If a millionaire gives a bunch of money to a charity, did they do that for a tax write-off? Did they do that because they want to be a good person? Did they do that because they want to feel good? Did they do that because they don't want to feel guilty for having so much money? The only input you have is what they tell you, right? We have not yet developed the technology to actually look inside people's motivations. That person can tell you, I didn't do it for the tax write-off. I didn't do it because I want to feel better about having so much money. I did it because I want to help orphans in Africa. Whether you take their word on it or not is up to you. So that is the kind of very subjective thing that I'm talking about. It is a philosophical question. And I can't answer it. I can't tell you if people do truly altruistic things. If people just give for the sake of giving and they don't enjoy it or get self-satisfaction out of it or feel good about it, If it's not rewarding to them in any way, they just give to give. I don't know. What I can say is examine yourself. You know, examine your own motivations for things. And ask yourself at a fundamental level why you do things. And I think part of the reason I got some pushback, and I got pushback from more than one person that were kind of offended that I was reducing people to such selfish motivations is that, you know, it doesn't feel great to think that someone did something for you only because it pleased themselves. And I don't think it's that simple. I really don't. You know, like the birthday present analogy, if someone buys you a birthday present, 
you know, they did it for one of two reasons. They did it to feel good because it makes them feel good to give you something. Or they did it to not feel bad because they didn't want to feel bad for not giving you something. Or something in between. You know, it can be a bit of both. It can be a sliding scale where 40% good, 60% because they didn't want to feel bad about themselves. But I feel like you really can't go much lower on the scale of reasons people do things. All right, everything begins at a point ourselves, a singular point. And I think the next step up is an incentive or disincentive. And that applies to everything we do. You know, why do we obey the speed limit? Sometimes we don't and we think we won't get caught. Sometimes we do because we don't want to get caught. There's your disincentive. Sometimes we obey the speed limit because we're genuinely caring about the people around us and we don't want to hurt somebody else by driving like a maniac. You know, there's a lot of reasons people do things, but when you bring it down, boil it down, boil it down, and you get down to those one or two options, it tends to be either because we don't want something to happen or we do want something to happen. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, am I cynical? I'm pretty cynical. I've lived through a lot and I've lived a lot. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. And I think that's part of the problem. We've been taught since we were very, very small that when you do something that is selfish, when you do something that is self-pleasing, that is necessarily bad. And I don't think that's true. I think that if you get someone a gift because it makes you feel good to get them a gift, that is not a bad thing. That's perfectly fine. I think understanding your own motivations, I think understanding that you are getting them this gift because it makes you feel good, doesn't diminish getting them the gift. I think that that's just part of understanding who you are as a human being. And it doesn't make us greater or lesser, right? Good and evil, selfish and generous, kind and cruel. Those are very human concepts that we have overlaid onto a natural world that does not recognize those things. When the wolf eats the baby lamb, it's not being cruel because it cannot choose to be kind. It's just a wolf. It's just doing what it has to do to survive. It's neither kind nor cruel. It is just a wolf. We can choose to be kind and we can choose to be cruel. And that is that major thing. That's one of those major separation points between us and every other living being on earth is we have this conscious understanding that some actions are kind and some actions are cruel. And if we want to be a good person, again, a human concept, we do the kind thing. And if we don't care about being a good person, we do the cruel and selfish thing. And that is what we have a problem with when we think to ourselves, but wait, why did I do the good thing? Because I want to feel good about myself. I don't want to feel bad about myself. And that's just who we are as people from my philosophical perspective. I know I can be very forceful with my opinions and I can be very sure and resolute and decisive. That's part of who I am as a person and as a dominant. If your worldview is different, if you feel like there is such a thing as natural goodness and love and kindness, and it's something beyond human, I have no problem with that. I really don't. It doesn't bother me to think that other people believe in good or that they believe in kindness and generosity as something 
above human innate desire for fulfilling self wants. For me, that is the basic thing. It's, you know, it always stems from, I want to feel good or I don't want to feel bad. If your philosophy is different than that, I have no problem with that. I truly don't. So for my fans that, you know, I might've hurt their feelings a bit. That's not my intention. This is always coming from me, my singular point of view, but I will tell you how I think. I will always tell you the truth of what I think and who I am as a person. So that wraps up our Q&A. I did not get a lot of questions, but the questions I got were very good. I encourage you to send in your questions and comments. I'm very interested in them. I want feedback from you guys. It's very important to me because I want to present to you the most balanced and well thought out discussion on BDSM I possibly can. I want to make this a really good resource for the community as a whole because not everybody lives in a situation or a city or a scene where they can get good education on this. Not everyone is comfortable going to scenes before they really have an understanding about what the scene is about. So I want to make this a good resource for people in the scene, people getting into the scene, people that have no experience with the scene, but they're curious about it and they want to know more about it. So by getting your feedback, getting your questions and your comments that I can incorporate into this podcast, as a community, we can make this a better example of what BDSM is for people. A quick business update. X Hamster did end up getting back to me that I could upload the video again, but that I better not show a model passing out, which hopefully when they see the new video, they'll realize that they didn't pass out in the first video. They certainly didn't pass out in the second video. Moving forward with our videos, I will do my very best to show aftercare, to explain that it's a scene, to show that we like to play rough, but everybody is consenting to it. Everybody is okay. Everybody wants this. For you fans out there that have always been with us and enjoy our videos and continue to enjoy what we do, we're going to keep trying to put out the best possible content that we can. During this move, I know I have not been putting out a lot of content. I haven't been filming a lot of content. And I don't really have time to edit and put out a lot of content while I am trying to upload old videos to the new sites so I can continue my income stream. Because this is what I do for a living. And when we lost Pornhub or lost the bulk of our income from Pornhub, it left me scrambling to find new income so that I can keep the lights on and feed my cat and feed myself and pay my insurance. So right now it's been a survival mode of get as many videos as possible up on the new sites, maintain what we have on Pornhub as best we can, and try and diversify a little bit, which is what this podcast is about. Find other ways of making a living that aren't strictly based on one site and the whim of one company of whether or not they allow us to continue to produce content. So right now, yeah, I'm treading water. I'm getting old stuff up as fast as I can. I have not been releasing new content. I have new content that I'm excited to release and I want to release it. So soon you will see more Katja and you will see more Lavender. Those are the videos that I have filmed but not have edited and uploaded yet. I do have some bunny videos that are very, very old. You know, we filmed them years ago, but never made it onto Pornhub. I'll be releasing those too. You'll see a lot more output as far as the studio side once I get settled in Detroit. 
until then, I might release one or two videos, but for the most part, I really need to finish up this house that I'm working on so that I can pack up my stuff and move. Once that's done, you'll start seeing that content that I know you guys want. Until then, thank you so much to my Patreon supporters for helping make this happen. Covering the web costs, covering equipment costs. So my Patreon subscribers, I cannot thank you guys enough. For the rest of you guys, do not worry about it. You know, people do write me and say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't afford Patreon. I can't do that right now. No worries whatsoever. This was never going to be a pay-to-play thing, and this podcast will always be free. For the people that can afford to kick in a couple bucks, that's awesome, and I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. For you guys that cannot afford to help out or just don't want to, no worries. I don't feel like you guys are freeloading in any way, shape, or form. I'm putting it out there for free. You enjoy it for free. That's cool. No worries about that whatsoever. All right, until next week, where we will continue our discussion on dominance and dominant behavior and types of dominance. I've been your host, Wicked Fellow. Consent is king. Take very good care of each other. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>